0: We're doing this, sorry Brad, we're doing this story, or we're doing this series, the only thing that counts, and Galatians 5.16 says this simply, it says, the only thing that counts is faith, but there's no period there. you might think that's what we're supposed to be about, but scripture says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in what, you know, Love. Let's try that again. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing, lived out, embodied with love. That's exactly what it is. And in order to have this real, strong kind of love, it involves our will. It takes willpower. It is a choice we make to love God, to love others, and to love this world. But it's a battle of the wills. How many of you all have teenagers? Okay, let's just take a moment and pray for these that have their hands up, okay? I'm just going to do that right now. Um, you know, I remember I was 14 or 15. My mom's taking me to the mall. We lived out in the middle of nowhere, like rural, rural Ohio. And we're going to the mall. And you know, teenage years are years that you have these battles of the will, right? Not in your house? Yes? No? Okay, good. Just want to make sure it wasn't just my house. So we're, you know, we're pimped out right in our station wagon up to get, you know, all these clothes for school. And I'm trying to set my mom up, right? I'm setting my mom up for the kind of clothes that I want, you know, and I knew there was a certain price range, and I'm like, well, mom, I can't, I, I can't get what I want for that. You know, we're just having this fight, and it's going on and on and on and on, and I've got a horrible attitude. It's going back and forth, and I said something to my mom that I should have never said, and all of a sudden, back in the day, you could do this. All of a sudden, I got a real close-up view of her diamond ring right between my... I'm serious, man. She's sitting over here, right? One of these... There were a couple of things you feared, you know. Back in the day, you know, before all these seatbelts and airbags and stuff, your mom would throw her hand to save your life, right? You with me? Right? You you're with me? Some of y'all get that. Or she would throw the backhand in an effort to take your life because you said something you shouldn't have said. <laughs> it, this was the other. And that absolutely set me off. And we, I still wasn't broken then. I said, you know what? Just let me out of this car. <laughs> She called my bluff. She let me out of the car, and I start walking. I'm like, she ain't going to pull off. <laughs> Crap. I was finally broken. but I thought, I'm just going to walk home, then. I'm just going to walk home. And a few minutes later, you know, my mom gave it some time. She comes pulling back up, and I acted like I was all tough and bad, but I was so glad she was back. <laughs> she had broken my will. It was a choice. It was a choice. You know, when I got her ring right here in the middle of my my head, I should have known at that point that it was time to surrender. By the way, my mom wins the award today for coming the farthest distance to K2 South Campus. She came all the way from China. So give her a big hand. She's here. I'm glad. Sometimes I'm glad she moved there because her arm can't reach me from China hey you know what Jillian said this you, you have the knowledge you have the physical ability now you just need to make a decision it's a choice what you do with your will and of course we're getting around to what you do with Christ is a choice Mike Rutt said a couple of weeks ago something struck me when I was listening to it. he said you know we believe a lie when we believe that full devotion to Christ, full devotion, that's going to be a key. When we believe that full devotion to Christ is not the norm, when we sprinkle on parts of God that we like as a condiment and use him whenever it's convenient for our purposes. He said full devotion to God means embracing the parts we love and those we don't. That's Full devotion. It's a process called surrender. But we don't like giving it all up. I was reading this week about the Civil War and how the surrender went down. It was 1865, Appomattox Courthouse, the home of Wilmer McLean. Both sides were weary. They were torn. They were bloodied. They were battered. The Union Army had just suffered a victory, and at this point, both armies are trying to outflank each other, you know, the South in an effort just to survive, the North in an effort to conquer and win. And finally, they decided to let their wills break and potentially talk to each other. Let me read you some correspondence that happened that day. April 7th, 1865, from General Robert E. Lee, the commander of the Union Army. He wrote this. He said, the results of last week... Must convince you of the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the Southern Army in this struggle. I feel that it is so, and I regard it as my duty to shift from myself the responsibility of any further effusion of blood by asking of you the surrender of that portion of the Confederate Army. Signed, Ulysses S. Grant, Lieutenant General. What would you have done if you were Robert E. Lee? I mean, I want you to think about the struggle that they had been through, the army that they had, you know, the the, the losses that they had, the blood that had been shed. You know, I'm not asking you whether you agree with their position or not, but just as a group, where would you have been? Where are you at? You're bloodied, you're battered, you're wounded. Here's what Robert E. Lee wrote back. General, I've received your note of this date, though not entertaining the opinion you express of the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the Confederate Army, I, though, reciprocate your desire to avoid useless effusion of blood, and therefore, before considering your proposition, ask the terms you will offer in condition of its surrender, signed Robert E. Lee General. Robert E. Lee said, I don't agree we're not getting beat down, but you know what? You've hit on something there. What's up with all this bloodshed? But before I surrender, I want to know what's in it for me. What are we going to get if we lay it all down? That got me to think about my life in Christ. How many times I go to my Savior and I'm like, if I do this, what are you going to do for me? If, 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 if you just do this in my life, have you ever prayed this prayer? Oh, dear Lord, if you just do this in my life, I will blank. Oh, dear Lord, if you just... Give me more money, I'll give you more money. <laughs> if you just give me this job, I'll do this. If you just heal my father of cancer, I will. Or my son or daughter of whatever it is. Guys, surrender, if it's not everything, is not surrender. And it starts in our will. It starts in our will. Will. And it starts by understanding that what we're about to give up to Christ is nothing compared to what he has in store for us. If you're writing this down, write this down. This is the main thought that we want to go after today. Surrender is simply learning to give up something good for something so much greater. That's what I believe it is. It's, it, it's the desire to give up something good for something so much greater. And like Jillian told us, it's a choice, it's found in your will. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, I think you probably heard this passage that Christ uses so often. Watch this, it says, love the Lord your God, you've got to help me here, okay, in a second. Love the Lord your God with all of your, and with all of your, and with all of your, and with all of your, He wants your heart, he wants your soul, he wants your mind, he wants your strength. What does that mean? Basically, it means he wants every last bit of us. Now, let me tear this apart for you just a second and show you kind of my opinion about, you know, why didn't Jesus just say, I want all of you? I'm not going to try to jump inside the mind of Jesus, but let me show you something that kind of reverberates with me. I wrote this little chart up. You know, what we do is our strength, that upper right corner. What we do the actions we take, the decisions we make is our strength. What is the outcome of everything that we do? It's our strength. I believe that our strength and what we do starts, I mean, uh, it ends in our mind. I believe it ends in our mind. I I think it kind of starts in our mind. It ends in our mind. And what we do in our mind usually ends up becoming what our strength is. Okay, you with me? But I think there's this much deeper level that Jesus is trying to to rock out to us here. And he says this You know what? It's really at the deepest level about your heart because your heart says who you are and your soul is your essence. Whatever's in your heart probably came because of the deepest level of your soul. That's the deepest level, Jesus said. Your soul that he breathed into you. That's the deepest essence of your being. Then reverberates to your heart. And says what kind of condition your life is in. It then becomes a part of your mind, your thought process, and then you act on it, okay? Now, this back and forth that happens on these two levels. Don't just think, well, I did it without thinking about it. That's not true. If you did it without thinking about it, you skipped the mind and went right to your heart and soul. It was just a part of who you were, so you didn't have to think about it. But that's... That's how it should be with Christ. Now, I believe this thing that runs in between, all of this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, is where our will comes in. I believe that's where the choice is made. I believe that's where the decision is fought. You really can't fight it in your mind because it's about your heart and soul. It's about those deepest levels. And this exchange that goes back and forth will say whether or not you're fully devoted to what Christ has, and it is your choice. Here's what I believe. Our will is where we decide what we will serve and who we'll surrender to. Hey, Mike, come up and help me, man. Our will is where we decide what we will serve and who and what we'll surrender to. You see, it looks a lot like this. Got this little platter. And you know, you think as a servant, okay, if I'm a servant to the king, you know, I bow down before the king and I say, okay, king, here's, here's what I give you. Just stand over there. Back there, just kind of face me. Mikey's going to play God. He likes that. <laughs> he actually paid me to do this illustration. Um, so so he, here's the thing about a servant. Um, you know, I can come out of the back and serve the king his food, his drink, and things like that. But I want you to understand the king's not fully in control of what the servant brings. The king might say, well, this is what I want and this is what I expect. But the ser- how many servants in the Bible and throughout just our regular history... Killed the king because of some little cyanide poisoning or something they slipped in. You with me? The king can say anything he wants, but it's up to the servant to carry it out, right? Right? But see, I don't even believe it's on that level. I believe that full devotion and full surrender to Christ involves a change of the will. And here's how it works. I believe I can come to God... And say, oh dear God, you know, I trust you as as me, or, or as my savior, and I know that you'll take care of me. And here's what I have for you today. Will you take this Lord and bless it? Now you might even believe that you're giving him the right thing. Take it, bless it. You might believe you're pouring out exactly what he wants for you. But the fact was, is that it was still partially your choice. What I love is this picture. I love Dave Nelson. He gives these little pictures once in a while. And he said something to me once, and it just has never left me. He said, you know what? Every morning, you need to get up out of your bed. And you need to covenant that it's not about what you're going to bring to Jesus today. Oh, here's what I have for you, Lord. You know, take it and bless my mess. Or maybe it's good. Maybe we think it's good. Maybe it is holy and just. That's not how it works. That's not the surrender of will. That's not complete and utter, total surrender. Complete and utter, total surrender is when we get up every day and we see our Lord and Savior out in the middle of a field or on the beach, whatever you want, and you walk up to Him and you say, Lord, what is it that you would have me serve back to you today? You see that subtle shift that makes all of the difference in the world? That's what we want to talk about. And that's the heart of the matter. Thanks, Mikey. That's the heart of who we serve and what we serve and who we are. Because Scripture tells us this, Colossians 2.6. Let, let me dig this apart. Um, it says this. So then, just as you... It'll come up there in a second. Don't worry. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to what? You see, I think there's a couple levels here. I think a lot of us have come to the point in our life where we say, okay, I've received Jesus Christ into my life, but I believe many of us have not come to a point where we've made him our Lord and Savior. I believe that we haven't always figured out what it means to continue to live daily, moment by moment, in him. And I believe that's why a lot of us struggle man, listen, I'm talking to myself. The greatest, the, the passion that I have usually when I speak is because I'm looking right back in the mirror. You with me? I'm so stupid that God makes me do this multiple times every weekend to get my point across. You're so much better, you only get it once, alright? Man, I believe that We have got to do more than just reserve our spot in heaven. We've got to make him the Lord of every bit of our being through submissive surrender. And the thing I love about Jesus, man, he was so spot on all the time. Was he not just the perfect example for us? People wonder, well, why did Jesus do all this stuff? You know, he was the son of God. Why did he have to do that? You know, why did he have to do it this way or that way? Because, you know what, never ceases to amaze me when I open up scripture and I see that I'm going through the exact same thing that Jesus also went through and modeled for me and you know he models this little this little I don't want to say it's a challenge because I don't believe the son of God even had an, an iota in him to give in to temptation but I believe he modeled with us and fought in the flesh this same bitter struggle that many of us face Uh, Let me take you back to the garden. That's where we want to put the majority of our text this morning. Matthew chapter 26 verse 39. Matthew chapter 26 verse 39. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane had just been betrayed by his disciples. He had just gotten uprooted. He had just been absolutely um, shattered by what was to come. And it says this, that going a little farther, follow along with me here. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed this. My father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as. Not as I will, but as. So, Lord, if you could take this away, please do it. There were no demands made, there were no contracts, there were no, if you do this, then I will. It was just, Lord, or it was Father, here's the Son of God. God in the flesh saying, Father, I submit myself to you. And whatever it is that you have for me, I want to do it. But notice also that Jesus said, you know what, if it's possible, if it's possible, would you do this? Not as I will, but you do. By the way, this is, this is if you ever struggle with unanswered prayer... Jesus had a prayer that wasn't, not unanswered, answered in the way that you would want it to be. No prayer is unanswered. If you ever struggle with prayer that's never not answered the way you want it to be, go back to Matthew 26. And so he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. They had no willpower. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation because your spirit, man, your spirit wants to do what's right. But your body is... It's weak, it's undisciplined, it's untrained. Keep going. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Saying the same thing. Here's what I want to get at. Here's what I want you to understand about surrender. First of all, remember this. Surrender is learning to give up something good for something so much greater. But the first thing you have to understand, the great theologian Jillian told us, is that surrender is a choice. Surrender's a choice. Write that down. Surrender is your choice. Now, here we see the Son of God. Did you pick up on this little phrase? It says the Son of God went a little farther, and Jesus fell with his face to the ground. You with me here? He's eating the dust. What kind of position is this? What kind of position is this? It's ultimate surrender. Don't miss these nuances in Scripture, they're there for a reason. Jesus didn't just, he could have stood up by an old oak tree that he created, by the way. It says he fell in the dirt. And he tasted it. He fell with his face to the ground. And that was a choice that he made, to be submissive to the Father. He fell with his face to the ground, because submission is our choice. Um, if you don't know this, I used to be a police officer in the inner city in Columbus, Ohio, before God called me into ministry. Missed that job, loved that job. Would go back and do it in a heartbeat. But, um, worked in the inner city. It was a really, really bad area, Columbus, Ohio. 1.8 million people in the metro area, so it was no cakewalk. Um, my wife one day, it's, it's, it's Mother's Day, and she was pregnant with our first child. Uh, this is probably 15 years ago. Or, no, sorry, we've only been married. Let me do this math right. I don't know. I don't know when it was. It was a while ago. She was at the first service. Praise Jesus. I didn't get it wrong that time, but it was a while ago. And, um, She decides that she wants to ride along with me that day. They allowed people to ride along, and I'm like, you're not riding with me. I worked in a war zone. I'm like, there's no way, especially being pregnant. And uh, it being Mother's Day, I'm going to shorten this story a little bit. She won. Back and forth, back and forth. Fine, you're coming. Well, even on Mother's Day down in the hood, it was quite quiet. You know, the drug dealers, the prostitutes, all those people actually had mothers too, and they were hanging out with them, and it was a quiet day. And so I'm like, well, you know, she's riding around with me and there's just nothing going on. I'm like, I don't want her to think. You know, I come home all the time telling her these great tales and nothing's going on. I'm like, I got to do something. It was a Sunday afternoon to make it even worse, right? And, you know, just quiet as could be. So we're driving through and I see this guy, he has the wrong tags on his car. That was just normal down there. Nobody had the right plates on their car, they were never registered, never insured. It's just how it rolled. And so we didn't have a lot of time to do traffic stuff. We were dealing with shootings and gangs and all that stuff. But I'm like, man, there's nothing else going on. So I light the guy up, you know. I'm like, I'm just going to show her that I do something. And would you know it? The guy decides he doesn't want to stop. <laughs> so it's on. This guy starts blowing stop signs down the road. I got my wife in the car. She's pregnant with her child, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to. Like, I'm, I'm in this battle of. Of, of trying to keep her safe, but yet be the macho husband cop, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're heading, we're going on. And this chase went on and on and on and on and on and on. This guy pulls in the back of a school, and he jumps out. And so I jump out. I'm like, get your hands on the ground. And just like a movie or something, I couldn't believe this happened. This guy, I get out, start running at him. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He acted like he took three steps that way. I take about 40 his way. He gets back in his car and drives off. So now I'm standing out here looking stupid in front of my pregnant wife. The car's back there. This dude's driving off. So sprint back to the car, getting the cruiser. He's well ahead of me this time, going about 60 or 70 down this back alley. And little did we know, I mean, the cavalry was on their way. The chopper was coming. Cars, you could hear, whoa, whoa, you know, all this stuff going on. All of a sudden, this guy's going 60 or 70 in a back alley. And another officer coming this way is going like 60 or 70. And it looked like something out of Die Hard. I'm not lying. It was like, you know, all this. I mean, can you imagine two things going about 60 or 70 in a tiny little back alley just collide, just boom. This guy flies across. I'll never forget. He flew. We watched him fly over, hit the window, and he's just laying there. Let me tell you something. I told my wife, I'm like, honey, if anything bad happens, hit my bailout button. We had all, we. there was three of them in the car because every little police radio had a little panic button on it. It's this little button you can push. It's the oh crap button, send the cavalry, right? So I'm like, if anything ever happens, just hit this little button, save my life. And I had a little one on my walkie too and, and all this stuff. And and uh, so she knew that. And so she, I parked the car back a ways and I go running up this guy, put my gun on him. He was just like out. And I'm like, let me see your hands, let me see your hands. Well, apparently I woke him up. Comes lunching at me, she, like right at my gun. So I put it down. This guy was a beast. I mean, I know I'm a beast, but he was five times the beast of me. <laughs> all right, so let's compare beastly features here. Throws me out of the way. So now he takes off running, and I'm worried about my partner back there, the guy in the cruiser, and he bel- praise Jesus, he was okay. And he comes running out, and so we start chasing this guy. And so we're chasing this dude, ch- and I've never had this happen before, but all of a sudden the guy stops, this beast, He stops, and he looks at us. And I'm like, well, what do you do now? This has never happened. I've been in like 48 chases, and they've never stopped and looked back at me. And the make matters, so we're fumbling around like, what the heck do we do now, you know? Do we shoot him? Do we mace him? Do we taste him? He starts running back at us. That's not a good feeling, guys. (laughs) So now he's pursuing us. (laughs) All of a sudden he gets up and it's on and we're in the fight of our lives. We're in this big fight. Now, let me tell you, I'm not the biggest dude in the world. I got, I'm like the quick guy, right? Not the big guy. And so, but this other guy, Remus Borchilla, he was like this Russian dude that matched his name. As wide as he was tall, he was a beast too, and we're in it with this guy. We're trying to get him to surrender. We're trying to get him to stop. You know, I got my mace out, and it just got obliterated. It flies over there. I didn't have my walkie. It was tangled. Our walkies were all tangled up with each other. It is on. This guy would not go down. We're kneeing him and elbowing him, kicking him, and... Because, I mean, we tried to be cool about it at first and, and throw him down, but he was a beast. And we were fighting this guy forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And so we finally thought we got him down. We get him down where his chest is on the ground. And this is no joke. I'll never forget it. He takes both of us, and he bench presses us up. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so Remus is below me. I'm on top of Remus, right? And I actually did in this fight. It was quite good. I introduced his head to the pavement multiple times. I really did. And got him to submit. You know, I I mean, bam, 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 bam. That was the only way to get the dude to submit. He was out. He was all strung out, all kinds of stuff. You know, the moral of the story is, my wife never pushed the button. (laughs) So I didn't know. I'm like, because here, all three of us end up at the hospital. We all got injuries. This was a fight and a half. This was crazy. We're all sitting in the hospital. I'm like, Why did you not push the button? Well, it didn't look like you were in trouble. I'm like, it's kind of like the fight of my life. So actually that made me feel good. I'm like, you know what, honey, you're right. We had that under control the whole time. Here's the point. You'll not forget that story, but the point that's attached to it is you will surrender to God one way or the other. Now, I do not believe that God will just beat you down every time. I believe that he could introduce your face to the pavement. And I think at times he does that. But at the end of the day, the choice to surrender is ours. It's ours. John 7, 17. Look at this. If anyone what? Romans 12, one and 2. Therefore I urge... Who? I urge you, brothers and sisters, it's your choice. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, I want you to see the contradiction in the word living sacrifices. Sacrifices were a perfect, well, you found the most spotless, perfect piece of meat, lamb, whatever you had that day. And you brought it up bloodied so the blood could run down the altar. I know it's gross and weird, but that was symbolic of the blood covering our sins. And you offered that up. Jesus said, I want you to walk around exposed with the blood of my Savior dripping off of you every minute of every day. I want you to be a living sacrifice offered up daily. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is not just singing a few songs and praying a few prayers. It is the way we offer our lives He says this, he says, you know what, if you're going to be followers of me, this is what's so cool about Christ. He says, man, if you're going to follow me, I don't want just part of you, I want all of you. So don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And then when you do that by the renewing of your mind, then and only then will you be able to see what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Guys, surrender is learning to give up what you think is good for what he knows is greater. If I put a gun on you right now, said, "Police, let me see your hands. What are you going to do? Show me what you're going to do. Yeah. You know why? Because you know, this is the ultimate act of surrender. And that's why in scripture, you know why it says lift holy hands to him? It's not that he wants to see our palms. It's he wants to see our surrender. As a matter of fact, the word worship means to lie prostrate before God. Did I say that right? Not the body part. The, pro, you know, to lie prostrate before God. To surrender our entire being. And some of you are going, I don't know about this, man. That's pretty wimpy. Guess what? It's not, guys, it's not about weak submission. It's about willing surrender. And it's your choice. The other thing that surrender means, write this down, it means giving up everything. Full control. Full control. Back to the garden, Jesus said this. He says, you know what? Here's God talking to God. I want you to understand this. This is God talking to God. If that doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense to me either. But that's how it went down. God says to God, "Um, this is what I'd like to see. But since I'm submissive to you 100%, it's not what I want. It's what you want. Because God, I know what you want is better. He didn't go and say, Well, dear God, you know, me being part God too, um, or all God, and part of the Godhead, here's what I think we should do. Take it. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to offer this up to you, and God has the opportunity to rearrange things or to take things off or to put things on and then give it back to you, doesn't he? Full, unconditional. I mean, we get to this point, we think this is pretty good. I mean, it is good. I'm proud that we've gotten to this level, but until we give it, the empty platter to him and say, give it to us and we'll give it right back to you. We've not gotten there because we say, you know what? When we get to that point, we say, God, you are wiser. You are better. You are so much more powerful and you know so much more than I ever will. Guys, that's the point of surrender. That was the point of me in the car that day with my mom saying, okay, mom, you win. That was the point of this guy who finally wised up enough to go, all right, this little poodle And this big, like, you know, husky dude on my back. I was the poodle. um, (laughs) Just made me surrender. Just made me surrender. James 4, verse 13. I love this. Here's how it looks. Now, watch how this works. This is cool stuff. Watch this. Now, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Dude. (laughs) Dude. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life anyway? It's just a vapor. It's here for a short time like fog, and it's gone. Slap down. Now, don't take that. Some of you might go, well, that's freeing. I no longer have to make any kind of plan. I won't make a budget. I won't plan out my work week. That's not, Jesus says in other places, count the cost. Nobody goes to war without counting the cost. Nobody builds a tower without doing it. Watch, guys. It's this whole thing that, you know, I think whoever said that, it was in their mind, and it wasn't really a part of their soul. I believe there was this whole exchange going on. Because James just says this. Instead, you ought to say, if you're fully surrendered, and if your heart and soul reflect the mind of Christ of 100% clear and total surrender, you're going to say this. If it's the Lord's what? If it's the Lord's will, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. As a matter of fact, as it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows, when you know what to do, and you don't do it, what Scripture say it is? It says it's sin. Not doing something can be sin. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, I have to go to my dude, Mikey. He's uh, a good friend of mine. Hey, Mikey, man, if it's the Lord's will after church, let's go get some pizza. And then if it's the Lord's will, let's go see a movie. And by the way, if it's the Lord's will, no. That, but that just has to be the underlying essence of our being, how we live our every lives in complete and total surrender. It's your decision to give up full control. It's not about feelings. It's not about facts. It's not about words. It's not about what's in it for me. It's just, I trust you way more than I trust me. And I want to give up what I think is good for something that you know is great. Because surrender is learning to give up something good for something so much greater. Surrender is your choice. It means you got to give it all up. And the last thing is this, that surrender is a second-by-second decision. You're like, man, this must be easy for you. You're like a pastor, and I can see you're pretty passionate about it. It's not. So much so that this, fir- that this third point in my notes for the longest time, I think it read this, surrender is a daily decision. That's pretty good, isn't it? Daily decision, but that's not what Scripture calls for. That's not what God expects. God expects the smallest unit of time in our lives. I mean, we could break it down to millisecond, but work with me here, all right? Scripture is a second-by-second second choice. I don't know about you, but man, things could be going great. I could have done my devotions, cried with Jesus, shouted to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing, and then just go out and do the wrong thing. This isn't something I came up with. I, I f- kind of see this throughout all of Scripture, from Peter to Matthew to Moses to... Let's look at this guy named King David. Um, King David, a mighty warrior, started killing lions, tigers, bears, you know the whole story, right? Then he killed Goliath, and then he conquered entire nations. And he had it all. Um, He's the one that would have built the permanent temple for the Spirit of God to reside in. This was a chosen temple man of God. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. But that wasn't enough. It wasn't a second-by-second decision for him. Just like the disciples, listen, the disciples had a choice there in the garden to stay awake, did they not? Did they not? Sleep was good. Sleep is good, amen? Sleep is good, but doing what Christ asked us to do in that minute was better. And I I could see these disciples struggling, just like David, Let's tie these two stories together. Um, the disciples sitting in the garden, um, you know, when Jesus went away, they were pretty embarrassed and like, dude, we need to, guys, let's let's play the staring game and keep open here. You know, I can't imagine they just went, well, forget him, let's go back to sleep. One of y'all stand guard when he comes, nudges. No, they probably wanted it to happen. Jesus comes back the second time, finds him asleep. It was a second by second devotion. They gave up something greater for something good. One of the disciples threw out, well, Jesus, man, like, You turn water into wine, why don't you turn some into Red Bull or something for me right now? Because I, I'm tired. It's a funny thing that um, it's usually when we're tired, physically and spiritually, that we choose to do the right thing, or the wrong thing. It's when the spirit is so weak. And our flesh is so weak. Our spirit might be willing, but our flesh is just worn out. Let's fast forward to King David, right? Had it all. And he decided to trade the great for the good. The eternal for the temporal. And guys, here's what I want you to understand. It just took a glance. It just took a very quick glance for that to go wrong. As a matter of fact, if David would have been doing what he was supposed to be doing, that glance would have never happened. First Kings tells us that this took place at, during a time when the kings were supposed to be out in the battlefield. David wasn't in the right place. So, of course, one decision led to another poor decision. And in a second, he saw something awesome. You know, he's out scanning, doing whatever, and then he's like, wow. And he said, I want that. And he made a horrible decision and spiraled out of control. And you know what? You have that same decision second by second. You know, you can pop in a movie that has skin in it and that you know is not going to bring you closer to Christ. You could click on a website that you know you shouldn't click on. Just got quiet in here. Do do I struggle with that? Absolutely. That's why I have this little thing on my computer called XXX3 accountability software because I don't trust myself. Because it just takes a second to fall. You know, these little dumb things we have to do this time of the year, they're called taxes. Are you going to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God's what's God's? How about reimbursements with your company? How about what bed you wake up in at night? It's your choice. You know, in your marriage, don't miss this, please. There's a lot of marriages that are struggling. You know, it's your choice. It's your choice to love what's not always lovely. And for your spouse to reciprocate your ugliness. It's a choice to love that. Because you could easily go, well, man, you did me wrong and walk away. It's your choice. It's your choice with your kids. It's your choice how you spend your time. Well, I just don't have time today to go do that or down to, you know, serve whatever. Whatever. It's your choice what you do with your talents. It's your choice what to do with your finances. It takes a surrendered will to be like Jesus. Let me shut down with this and and just let you know this. Surrenders, guys, surrender's your choice. It's your choice. It means he wants everything. Not just your platter, but you want his. And it's a second by second decision. But let me comfort your soul. It's not easy. It's not easy. Look Luke 22:44, different gospel tags this on to the end and says this. He was in the garden after this whole exchange. It says and being in what? In what? Have you ever been in anguish? Oh God, why is this going on? Why, why, why? Won't you just so is he. In anguish, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He knows. That's what I love about Jesus and God. Everything that we want to know, they've probably been through. Have you lost a son? God knows what it's like to lose a son. Have you not had a prayer answer the way you went? So did Jesus. Jesus did it. He paid a price. He surrendered his throne, his position, his dignity, his rights, his possessions. Ultimately, he surrendered his life willingly for you and that price that he surrendered. He surrendered something good for something so much greater. And that was eternity for you and me. He could have chosen other options. Nothing compelled Christ other than love and will to do what he did. It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with obedience to the Father. And listen, here's why. Because when he hung on that cross for me and you, and he suffered in anguish, and he left the posh surroundings of heaven, guys, he had you in mind. I believe this with all of my heart. That as he hung on that cross, he saw Charles Hill, the dirty, rotten, filthy man that I am. And he did it for me. If I were the only one on earth, he would have surrendered it all for me. For you. Guys, that's why we surrender. Surrender. We don't surrender to please God and so he'll give us more. We don't surrender our finances because like some folks on TV say he'll pour you out this you can't c- bad theology. We surrender because he surrendered it all for us and he had us completely in mind. Let me show you what this looks like. You've been following I mean with just utter heartache what's going on in Haiti let me show you what a fully surrendered life looks like because I don't know if we fully get it yet I don't know if I fully get it because I don't know if I could have done with this 22 or 23 year old Haitian lady they were interviewing her and they said what are you doing? she goes I'm trying to get out of here what happened? she said I lost my 5 year old daughter and my 18 month old son I lost my entire family The reporter said, well, did you get to bury him? She said, no. She said, like, you know, all the others, I just had to throw them away, toss them away. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. I'm glad CNN went on to include this part because it just rattled my world. Well, what are you taking with you? She had this little tiny bag. It looked like it had a blanket in it. She said, "I've got a little child's memo pad." They said, "You don't even have pictures of your kids, no? We don't even. I don't even have a picture of my kids. I got this little memo pad though." And she had a ninety dollars slip from Canada for a money exchange transfer. She had a Bible. It was taped up. I don't know if I could have done this. She had a Bible that was taped up and she looked right at the reporter and said, Psalm 46 says, the Lord is my refuge and he is my strength. When everything else is God, surrender's about, I know to what and to whom I'm surrendered to. Can you take it that deep? Are you ready to give it up all unconditionally? Because listen, we're all surrendered to something. We're all surrendered to something. The question is, what is it that we're surrendered?